Well, good morning, everybody. So glad that you are here. Thanks for being with us this morning for our official grand opening of the building. Hopefully, you've had a chance to check it out a little bit. If you haven't um, poked your heads in the kids' rooms, you should do that. It's kind of fun. And I'll just take just a minute just to say thank you so much to all of our team members that have served and given uh, so much of their time to kind of get this place whipped into shape. So, yeah, go ahead. Let's give them a hand. Say thank you. Very cool. This morning, we are launching a brand new series here at Ignite called Emotion Commotion. And this series is all about our emotions and their impact on our lives. Now, I'm not a super sort of touchy-feely kind of guy, but believe me when I say that emotions are important. We're not trying to downplay them or saying we just need to suppress them or push them down or anything like that. But they do need to be handled in the appropriate kind of way, don't they? Because they will impact our lives. Even if we deny them, even if we try to just shove them down, if we ignore them, them or pretend that they're not there, our emotions have a way of sort of oozing out into our lives, don't they? I'm not sure if you've ever thought of it before, but God is actually an emotional God. The Bible describes and defines God sometimes in light of emotion. For instance, 1 John 4, 8, right, tells us that God is love. It doesn't just say that he's loving, it, defi- it defines him, right? It's he's, they're saying, this is who he is. God is love. It's not all of him, but it is a significant part of who he is. The Bible also tells us that God is filled with joy. He's the happiest being on the planet. And God made us in his image. He made us to experience those emotions as well. He made us to love and to be loved. He, he made us to experience joy and wonder, but he also made us to laugh and to cry and to, to express sorrow and regret and pain. God is the author of emotions. And yet sometimes they can control us, can't they? They can do damage when they get out of whack. Anger, for instance, which we'll be talking about in, I think, two weeks, is a powerful emotion, and it can be used for good. It can be healthy and beneficial, uh, but oftentimes, what, the way we see and experience anger, it is not so healthy, is it? Oftentimes, anger, the way it comes out is we have we kind of shove it down until it gets to the top, and then we blow our top, right? We kind of we blow up, and we, we wreck relationships. We'll say all kinds of hurtful things. We'll go on Facebook and blast people. We'll do all kinds of things because we're angry. And anger, like any emotion, if it's used uh, in inappropriate kind of ways, uh, it can do tremendous damage. It can rob us of relationship. It can rob us of joy. It can do all kinds of damage to our lives. Love, which we'll be talking about next week, is another one. Uh, One of the most amazing emotions, uh, and of course, all of us, I think, know the positive benefits of it, but I wonder how many stupid decisions have been made in the name of love. I wonder if love has gotten out of whack. Uh, I wonder, I bet if we had time, I bet we could go around the room today and I bet we could tell some doozy of stories about things we have said or done in the name of love, right? That, that might have been just insane or crazy or those kinds of things. Because even love can be taken if, if taken to an extreme, if taken out of its appropriate context, can do damage uh, to our lives, can lead us in directions that, that uh, actually have the opposite kind of reaction of what we're hoping for when we make them in the, in the first place. Not to mention that I think love sometimes has the potential to lower our IQ quite a bit. <laughs> can I get an amen in the house? <laughs> we can do some stupid things in the name of love. Uh, in three weeks, we're going to be talking about sadness, depression, and despair. And this is one that's a little bit more obvious, right, of ways that it can rob us of, of 
of joy can rob us of life. It can suck us into a downward spiral at times uh, that we just can't seem to get out of. And so we'll be talking about how do we deal with how we feel? What's, what's God's perspective on, on all this kind of stuff? What is, does he have input? Does he have things to say to us? And, and, even, uh, and even input on how we are to live, to live in, this, in these emotional bodies and in this emotional world in a way that, that gives full expression to our emotions in a God-given way without sucking us into that spiral. So it's, I think it's going to be a great series. I hope you're here for every week of it. We're going to have some fun along the way. We're going to do some, some fun things. But, uh, but uh, yeah, like I said, I think it's going to be a great series. Now, the Bible actually, uh, ironically, doesn't use the term emotion, doesn't use the term feeling a whole lot. Typically, uh, the Bible refers to things like passions or affections, and the number one term that God uses to, to describe emotions in other, in other things is the word heart, right? And, and we still use that kind of language today. Like, for instance, what is it, 10 days from now, not even, whatever, what, what's today's date? Fifth? So what, nine days from now or something is Valentine's Day. And we will often exchange heart-shaped cookies and heart-shaped boxes of candy and heart-shaped cards. By the way, I'm giving you guys a heads up in the room, so don't forget that, right? Kind of thing. We'll do that as a way to, to say how we feel about somebody. It's a way that we can express love to somebody else. It's, it's based on a heart. Well, the, the Bible uses the word heart in similar kinds of ways. It, it means it's referring to our emotions, our soul, sort of all of our being. It's a holistic kind of thing, but certainly uh, it's used to include emotions in that kind of context. So Jesus, when he's talking, for instance, in Matthew or in Mark 12, says this, he says, you should love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength. When, when the Bible uses the term mind, he's talking about our intellect, but he's differentiating, right? He's saying, don't just love the Lord your God with all of your mind. It's not just about what you think, but love God with, with your emotions, with your soul, with your passions, with all that you are as well. God cares about your heart. He cares about my heart. He cares about what you feel and what you don't feel. God created you to experience and be filled with emotions. But he also warns us not to let our emotions, not to let our heart get carried away into destructive sort of patterns. Proverbs 4, 23, it's sort of a theme verse that we'll refer to throughout this series. But God says this, he says, above all else, guard your heart. Because everything else, everything you do flows from it. Everything else you do flows from that. So real quick, as we're kind of introing the series here, I want to just look at kind of four reasons why God warns us and encourages us to keep a check on our emotions, to guard our heart, so to speak. By the way, I've got quite a few points today. I've got a few in the, in the intro and then a few later, so... <clears throat> If you're taking notes, you can write those kind of things down. It's good stuff. I think it'll be helpful. These first ones will go through all throughout the series. It's sort of setting up the series. Um, if you get a little point overloaded today, I apologize. I'll try to be pointless next week, and so it'll kind of make up for it. And, uh, but, but first, kind of four reasons that God says to kind of keep a check on our hearts and our feelings and our emotions. The first one, I'll just hit quickly, is that uh, our feelings are, can often be so unreliable. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way which seems, if I, was, if I had my Bible here, I would circle that, I, which seems right to a man, but in the end, it's the way of death. It's, 
God's way of saying the heart is not always reliable. Our feelings can sometimes lead us astray. Our passions, our desires can sometimes, we, we think it can be heading in the right direction, but oftentimes we don't know. It's leading us down the wrong path. And so it, it's, again, it's not saying that emotions are bad or that our hearts are, you know, our, our hearts are necessarily leading us in the wrong direction, but it is saying you should keep a close check on that because they might be, right? Because they might be. The heart is not always reliable. Our feelings can lead us astray. I remember uh, reading an article a number of years ago called 178 Seconds to Live. And in it, they took, uh, they took 20 of the best pilots uh, that had been trained, but hadn't been trained in instrument training. In other words, they had learned to fly using the horizon. They had learned to fly in good weather using markers and where they could rely on their own uh, their own gut and their own initiative and on what they could see. And they took these uh, 20 great pilots, put them in flight simulators and flew them into weather to see what would happen, like where they where all of a sudden they lost the horizon. Right. And uh, and so they're 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 flying these pilots into there and every one of them crashed their planes and, you know, in the simulator died. You want to know how long it took them? The name of the article, 178 seconds. Right. They said on average, it took these pilots, these these uh, 20 uh, well-trained uh, pilots with great intuition, it took them less than three minutes to drive the plane straight into the ground. When they could see the horizon, when, when they had a reference point, they could stay up and they could fly for hours and they would be fine. They could land the plane, they could take off, they could do all kinds of things. But when they lost their reference point and relied solely on their own gut, they drove straight into the ground. And you know what? That's kind of what God's saying here. He's saying, boy, you've got to keep a check on that. You've got to guard your heart. You've got to keep a check on your emotions because our gut can lead us astray because, because like those pilots, we can sometimes follow our emotions straight into the ground. He says, it'll do tremendous damage. So God says, be wary of your own gut. Be wary of your own heart. Be wary of your own feelings because they can be real, real short-sighted sometimes. They can be real self-focused and self-absorbed, can't they? We can be really off base. Second thing, second reason God kind of warns us, he says, be careful, be careful with this. Uh, is he says, because we don't want to be manipulated. This one was fascinating fascinating to me this week. It just kept going over and over in my head as I was reading it. But it says, like a city that is broken into and without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit. The word there means spirit, soul, could say heart kind of thing to that, the inner being kind of thing. When we have no control over our gut, our inside, our feelings, our kind of who we are, our own soul and spirit, uh, it's like having a city in in that day without walls. What's a city in, again, in ancient times, a city without walls, what would happen to that city? They would be destroyed, right? Everybody, everybody, anybody in the right mind would come with an army. They would wipe out the city like that. There'd be nothing to protect them. And that's what God's saying. He says, when we don't have a check on our own spirits, on our own hearts, even on our own emotions, it's like we leave ourselves vulnerable. It's like we leave the gates open to the city. We're inviting the enemy to come in and to take us out. You know, it's interesting. Salesmen and advertisers are actually trained in how to stir up people's emotions because they, they know that if they can get you hooked emotionally, you will buy their products. Well, if we don't have a check on our emotions, we, we are opening ourselves up to that kind of stuff. And it works, doesn't it? I mean, today, uh, later at the Super Bowl, people are going to spend a whole heck of a lot of money on commercials, aren't they? Why do you think they do that? 
Why do you think they do it? Because it works, right? As a result, they they have spent millions and millions and millions of dollars designing these commercials, and they have tested the music that they'll play, the exact words that they'll say, the images that they show. They're trying to create an emotional hook for you. They might try to get you to laugh. They might try to whatever, but they're trying to hook you on their product. And the reason they spend millions of dollars of doing that is because they know if they can hook you emotionally, they can get you to buy their product. And the same is true all the time. Do we see any other uh, places where an emotional appeal can, can kind of get a hold of hearts and, and move them in a certain direction? You ever see this in the media? You think that ever happens? You ever see this in politics? <laughs> no, no emotionalism there, is there? <laughs> I can't believe I didn't get more laughter out of that. <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> Man, we see this all the time these days. If we're not guarded, we can get swept away by this emotion commotion that is going on in our world. Not to mention that the Bible warns us that we have uh, an enemy, the deceiver, who is walking around like a roaring lion seeking people to devour. And he can use our emotions to take us down that road. We can be so easily manipulated if we don't keep a check on our heart. Third one is uh, our, our third reason to keep a check on it is our emotions reveal what we value most, what we love most. By learning to keep a check on our emotions, we learn what we really value and love most. You see, our emotions will indicate and communicate what we really care about, what we really value. I found this quote this week, which I thought was great. And it says this, it's from John Bloom uh, from Desiring God Ministries. He said this, God designed your emotions to be gauges, not guides. They're meant to report to you, not dictate you. The pattern of your emotions, not every caffeine-induced or sleep-deprived one, will give you a reading on where your hope is because they are wired into what you believe and value and how much. That's why emotions like delight or affection or fear or anger or joy are so important in the Bible. They reveal what your heart loves, what your heart trusts, and what your heart fears. At Desiring God, we like to say pleasure is the measure of your treasure. Isn't that great? Pleasure is the measure of your treasure because the emotion of pleasure is a gauge that tells what you love most. And it's true. Guard your heart. Keep watch on your emotions for they will point out what you really value and love. And the fourth one, which we'll we'll get to in just a minute, is that distorted emotions can so easily steal our joy. So it's a big deal, God says, over and over. He says, you've got to keep a check, keep a guard on your emotions. There is a ton of emotion commotion going on in our world right now. We've thrown off restraint as a society. We've learned to get swept away by our raw, sort of unguarded emotions. If it feels good, do it. So we, so we blast people and we break hearts and we destroy relationships with our angry words. Our emotions get hijacked by others and we let them steal our joy. We can get so easily manipulated by the media or by slick marketing. We can buy into values and actions that we shouldn't. But we have been swept away. And so instead, God says, guard your heart. Keep a check on your emotions so that you don't get swept away and so that we can experience the life and the joy that he's made us for. So for the next four weeks, we're going to kind of camp out on this topic. We're going to take one emotion a week and sort of dig into it a little bit more and learn to experience it to the full, uh, those God-given emotions while not being swept away. 
And so for today, now the rest of the time, I'm going to flip the page and just say for the rest of the day, I want us to kind of zero in just a little bit on the topic of anxiety and, uh, and worry and stress. Any of us uh, ever feel anxious? Anybody feel anxious that I asked you to raise your hand? <laughs> like, does that kind of make you a little nervous? <laughs> like, oh gosh, don't make eye contact, right? Kind of thing. We live in an anxious, anxiety prone culture, don't we? Listen to some of these stats that I I found this week. I read one study that's found that the average American worries and stresses about just their finances alone about 5,000 plus hours during their lifetime. Just about finances. That adds up to, for the average human being, um, eight solid months spent doing nothing but stressing and worrying about money. Eight months. That's eight eight to 10 hours per month that we spend worrying. Anybody use an extra eight or 10 hours a month for maybe more productive things? Could anybody use another eight or 10 hours a month of sleep or something or a great conversation, investment in our kids, uh, opportunities to do something fun? My goodness, eight to 10 hours a month. We ran across another study this week that said that 30, found that 30 million uh, American men would describe themselves as stressed out. 25 million people in the U.S. have high blood pressure caused by stress. Another study published in a medical journal uh, estimated that between 75 and 90% of all visits to a primary care physician are triggered by stress-related illness. That was crazy. It was insane. This one was interesting, too. The average American is in a bad mood about 110 days out of every year because of stress and anxiety. That's a third of your year. That's a, that's a third of our lives, right, that we spend having bad days because of stress and worry. Man, the question I find myself asking as I'm reading those stats is, are we controlling our emotions or are our emotions controlling us, right? We are getting swept away by anxiety along with all kinds of other things. Friends, life is just too short to spend that much of our lives being stressed out to ruin the quality of our lives by being stressed and by being anxious. Gary Thomas, I loved this image. I, I, I should have found some pictures to go with it, but he said, spiritual feelings need to become no longer our seeing eye dog that leads us here and there, but little chihuahuas dancing at our feet. I thought that was great, wasn't it? Little chihuahuas dancing at our feet. We've allowed our feelings and our anxiety and our worry to consume us so much. But instead, I want us to look at God's wisdom for dealing with this in a healthy manner. If you've got your Bibles, open them up to Philippians 4, or it's, uh, there's a place with the, the scriptures and, and all kinds of notes in the Ignite Church app, if you've uh, got that, or you can download it under Ignite Church Peoria, or you can just follow along on the screens. We're going to look at just a, a couple of verses from Philippians 4. It's a pretty well-known passage, and uh, it's got some simple but profound instructions for us on how to handle and deal with anxiety, and, and instead, how to walk into the path of peace and into the path of joy. Okay, going to read this together. Philippians 4, we'll start with verse 4. says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Hit the pause button for one second and just say, this is interesting, isn't it? First of all, God starts here with a command. He starts with a command. He says, rejoice in the Lord. Choose joy. God is calling you and calling me to rejoice. It's, according to him, it's an action. It's something that we can do. For God, joy isn't just merely a feeling or a buzz or a euphoria that comes when everything is going your way. It's active. Joy is something that you and I can practice. It's something we can choose. It's something we can do. 
It's not just passive, it's active. And in case you didn't catch it the first time, the living God chooses to say it a second time. Why do you think he might say it a second time? Because it's important, because he doesn't want us to miss it, right? So he says, rejoice in the Lord always. He said, okay, just hit the pause button. Let's go back here. Just In case you missed it the first time, let me, let me say it again. Rejoice. Be filled with joy. Choose joy. Step into joy in the Lord. It's an amazing command. It's a significant one. It's, it's important to God because I think it's important to us. It's how life works best, but it's what the living God also says when he commands to his kids and to his people like us. And so we read on and we learn some lessons on how we can actually live with this kind of attitude, this kind of action, this kind of emotion even of joy. God gives us some practical ways to live this kind of stuff out. So let's kind of put the whole thing together here. Philippians 4, uh, we'll read the whole thing starting with verse 4 again. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let me just read that last part one more time. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Man, I wonder if any of us would, would love to have that be true of our lives, that we could know the peace of God, which passes all understanding at the core of our souls. I think I could use a little bit more of that. How about you? Absolutely. In this very short passage, there's three different kind of things I just want us to look at in terms of dealing with anxiety, in terms of stepping into and walking the path towards lasting life and joy and peace. They're very simple things, but not simplistic. It's actually hard to do a little bit. It's, it's something that we learn to do. And the, it, it's just simply this. It's worry about nothing, he says. Pray about everything. And thank God in all things. No, go back. <laughs> You're getting ahead of me. So those, those, are the, those are the three simple things. We're just going to zoom in and look at uh, each one. The first one is this. Worry about nothing. Don't be anxious about anything, he says. Don't fret. Don't stress out. Don't be anxious. Now, it's easier said than done because the moment we say, don't be anxious, we think, oh, man, I'm a little worried because I'm not sure I can do that, right? <laughs> we start stressing the second we, we would think of that. We start stressing. I read uh, something in the Smithsonian Institute magazine that said we live in the golden age of anxiety. The, the author said, you know, not only do we have what he calls uh, micro um, micro worries, which uh, are like our own personal worries, the stuff that's going on in our life. But he, he defines this and says, we have these macro worries as well. We have like global kinds of things. And it's so accessible to, to us these days on our phones and uh, on the media and on Facebook and everywhere we turn, there's all this, there's all this fear, stirs up fear in us where it's saying, oh man, look what Trump did today, right? I mean, it's hard to, hard to, tur hard to turn on the news or it's hard to flip open your phone and take a look without seeing that kind of stuff. It, we, there's threats of terrorism. There's stuff that's happening all over the world. There's rioting that's happening. And, and, and he says there's these macro fears that just stirs up more and more and more anxiety in us. And we feel it. Do you feel it? I mean, I can feel it sometimes. I turned on the news the day after the election and then the day as well, the day uh, after Trump got sworn in and you start listening to stuff and pretty soon I had to turn it off. I'm like, man, I can feel the anxiety just rising in me because they're, the, the, the media is just saying, man, it's, 
it's going to be World War III. We're all going to die. He's going to run the economy to the ground. Gonna do, there's all this kind of stuff, and it just stirs up fear. And that's just one little microcosm. There's about a million of those that are being fired at us every moment of every day. But God says in the midst of that, be anxious about nothing. He's offering a different path. He's offering a different way to live. Here's a couple facts about worry. Dr. Walter Culvert did a study on worry and what causes worry in our lives. I thought this was fascinating. Said, uh, this is what he found. Found that 40% of your worries actually never happen. 30% of your worries concern the past, and there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. You know, but we replay conversations in our head. Oh, if only I would have said this, or if only I would have done that, we think, and we worry and we worry. But that's 70% of the things we worry about that we can do absolutely nothing about. Nothing goes on and says, okay, the next, uh, the next 12% of your worries are about needless health concerns. He, they said, you know, you find stuff like, oh man, I have a headache. What if it's a brain tumor, right? I mean, like, what if, what if it's, I mean, it could be terrible. Oh, I've got a cough. Oh my gosh, I could have cancer. I mean, we, we stress about all kinds of things. We let our brains take us down that kind of road. It says 10% of our, uh, of our stress, of our worries are about insignificant and petty issues. What they found was that only 8%, flip down the next slide if you would, only 8% of your worries are, are over actual and legitimate concerns that you'll have to wrestle with. Only 8%. 92% is stressing that's going nowhere. Stressing that is, is not really even grounded in reality. How much energy and time do we waste worrying about stuff that's not going to happen? It's crazy. How many negative thoughts do we spin around over and over in our heads regarding things that will never happen? But we do it, don't we? We sit around, we run scenarios in our heads. We have negative thoughts. We, we think about the past and what we should have done or wanted to do or could have done. Or what if, what if this person really hates me? What if they're mad at me? What if whatever? Not necessarily even based in reality. We worry and we spin. We fill our, our minds with these negative thoughts. We sometimes get cynical, thinking like we know what's going to happen anyway. What's even the point? But God says that's no way to live. It'll keep you. It'll rob you of your joy. It'll keep you from living a life filled with a peace that passes all understanding. So God says be anxious about nothing. Worrying doesn't change anything. It's stewing without doing. So, so worry about nothing. Why? Because it says, because the Lord is near, because the living God is close to you, because he's active, he's powerful, he's present, and he cares, because nothing is too hard for the living God. And so there's hope, there's stability. We don't have to carry the weight of the world on our shoulders. We don't have to worry or be afraid or be anxious. We don't have to lose hope because the Lord is near. Don't let anxiety or worry steal your joy. You know, it's interesting. Uh, God wrote this, this uh, passage that we're looking at today, the, the book of Philippians. He wrote it through a guy by the name of Paul. Paul, when he's penning these words, when he's writing these words, you know where he's at? He's in prison, isn't he? He's in prison for being a Christ follower, basically. He was in a prison in Rome in a dungeon, and he's writing these words to the Philippian church saying, you know what? Be anxious about nothing. Isn't that interesting? It's not necessarily based on everything going our way. 
be anxious about nothing. Why? Because the living God is near. You know, whenever God gives us a don't, he always gives us a do. Uh, anytime he says eliminate something from your life, he gives you sort of another step. And so this is, uh, this is one of those cases. It's not just, hey, don't look behind you, because if, if we say that, what happens? Right? You look behind you. So it's not just be anxious about nothing. If we stopped there, I think we'd all be in trouble because we'd be like, oh, okay, don't be anxious, don't be anxious, don't be anxious, and then we'd be anxious. So uh, he, he, he replaces it with something. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, he says the, sec- the second part, by prayer and petition, present your request to God. So he says, don't be anxious, but instead pray about everything. Man, if we would use the time every week, every day that we spend, typically spend worrying, if we would use that time for praying, we'd have a lot less to be anxious about, wouldn't we? Seriously, it's incredible. If we would pray as much as we'd worry, we'd have a whole lot less to worry about. He says in everything, not just in some things, but in everything, you can pray about it. I say this sometimes just to, to kind of joke around, but you know what the Greek word uh, for everything means? everything, right? It means everything. Not just some things, not just little things, not just big things. It means everything. God cares about everything that's going on in your life. He cares about how you feel. He cares about the fact that you may feel hurt or you may feel abandoned or you may feel alone. He cares about the things that are important to your heart, not just religious things. He cares about real stuff going on in the real world. He cares about the financial pressures that you're under. He cares about the mean thing that, that somebody said to you. He cares about what's happening in your inner world. He cares about everything. And so he says, bring it to me. He's interested in every detail of your life. And so he says, when you feel anxious, would you pray? When you feel anxious, would you bring that weighty stuff to me? Would you leave it with me? Would you let me take care of it? Would you invite me into your life, into your situation, into whatever's happening in your world? Would you bring me those worries? Would you drop them before me and entrust them to me? I got this. Okay, I read a lot of studies this week, so I apologize in advance, but I'm like full of them. Yeah, in fact, I cut like 10 pages of content because I had tons, but uh, I'm just, I keep sharing this one. I thought it was fascinating. Johns Hopkins University Medical School uh, did a study on, on uh, people that prayed that were patients and those that didn't, and they found this. Those who pray, those patients they had that prayed were 14 times less likely to die of a heart attack. They are 50% less likely to have a stroke. They're 40% less likely to die of cancer. And if you do go to the hospital, you'll get out on average three times faster than people that don't pray. Isn't that crazy? Gee, you, you think there might be something to this prayer thing? I mean, like, man, if, if that were available in pill form, everybody would have it, right? We'd all be taking it. It would be crazy. Prayer is powerful. And I, I was thinking about that and thinking, well, I wonder why that is. And, and I mean, I'm being a little oversimplistic here, but I mean, is it, I mean, the obvious answer is, well, because the living God answers prayer, right? Like he shows up and does this. But, you know, I think there's another answer too. When we pray, we are able to take the heavy loads of anxiety and junk that weigh us down and have real physical effects on our body. And we're able to drop them before the God of the universe. And we are to leave with peace. And I think, you know what? That makes a difference in our lives. 
even physically. It makes a difference in our bodies. We are filled with God's peace when we are able to bring our anxiety instead of stewing about it, instead of owning it, instead of, you know, holding on to it and letting our brains go round and round and round that track. When we are able to drop it before the living God, the God who spoke and the world came into being, the God that, that set off the big bang or whatever. I mean, like he just, he spoke and it was it. We are able to bring the stuff going on in our lives. He can do anything. He is all powerful. He's a big God. He can handle what's happening in your life. We're able to come to him and drop it at his feet and entrust ourselves to him. You think that could reduce stress in your life? Man, what if you and I were to pray? What if the moment our eyes open, what if we were to turn our hearts and our eyes Godward and we were to pray and we were to find that peace that passes all understanding? What if as we walk throughout our day and we start feeling that anxiety creep up, what if we were to stop and we were to pray, we were to drop those things at God's feet? What if as you, as you get to, towards the end of your day, what if you were to pray? What if, you, what if before you go to bed at night, you were to pray and take anything, those things that are weighing on you, those things that you care about, those things, those emotions that are stirring on in your soul and in your heart, what if you bring those things back to God? and pray. What a difference that could make in your life. Ask for his supernatural involvement in the things that are going on in your heart, the things that are causing you anxiety. Ask for the living God to show up. You know, so often we use prayer as a last resort, don't we? I mean, it's like, well, if I'm anxious, I'll get a glass of wine or I'll have a beer. Or if I'm anxious, I'll, I'll sort of do it, try to kind of amp up and just take care of it myself. I can, I'll power through. I'll sort of work, work whatever needs to happen. I'll, I'll take matters into my own hands. Sometimes when we're anxious, we'll complain or we'll talk to other people about it because we think, well, that'll make me feel better. So we unload, you know, misery loves company. And so we'll, we'll unload on other people and do that kind of thing. And you know what? Those are fine things. Most of those aren't, aren't necessarily good or bad or whatever. But you know what? As a result, we never really get to dump those things. We never get to drop them. And so we keep adding and inching our anxiety levels higher and higher. Our blood pressures keep going higher and higher and higher. All the while, God's saying, there is a better way. There's a better way. Instead of stewing, instead of holding on to that stuff, instead of spinning around and around in your mind, would you bring it to me? And would you pray? Would you drop it and leave it in my presence? 1 Peter 5, 7, uh, I love this translation. It says, unload all your worries on him since he's looking after you. One I'm more familiar with says, cast your cares. But the word there doesn't mean cast. Cast kind of makes it sound like you can throw it like towards God. Like cast your cares, throw your cares on God. And the, the, the word actually is sort of a picture of having a heavy load on your shoulders so much you're barely able to stand. And instead of throwing it, you can't even throw it because you don't even have the strength. Instead of doing anything, you just drop it before God. You just, you're letting go of it and entrusting it to God. You know what? I think there's some of us that are here that have been carrying around heavy loads on our shoulders, loads of anxiety and worry and stress. And I wonder if today the living God is speaking and just saying, would you drop it? Would you turn towards me and would you just pray and trust those things to me? Jesus says, uh, that his yoke is easy and his burden is light, right? There's life. 
there's freedom, there's lightness, there's peace as we learn to walk with Jesus, as we learn to entrust those things to him. Worry about nothing. Pray about everything. And the last one is thank God in all things. Verse six, when you pray, it says pray with thanksgiving, right? Pray with thanksgiving. Another translation says always asking him with a thankful heart. Whenever you pray, you should always pray with thanksgiving. It says gratitude. By the way, I read another one that said found gratitude is actually the healthiest emotions for our body. People that uh, express gratitude regularly are actually less susceptible to illness and more resistant to stress. It's the healthiest emotion, they said. The attitude of gratitude. People who are grateful are more frequently filled with joy and have a positive outlook. Their tanks are more full. People with ungrateful, the opposite is true, is right? Never satisfied, never enough. And so God encourages us. He says, cultivate thankfulness as, an, as a regular part of your lives. Why? Why? It's part, of, it's part of the deal here. When we pray and entrust God with those things that are weighing us down, and then we spend time focusing on how good God has been to us, on all that we have to be thankful for. He says, man, this is part of the deal that leads to the peace that passes all understanding. First Thessalonians 5, 8, or 5, 18 puts it this way. It says, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And I was thinking about that and just thinking, you know, sometimes I think this can almost be used in churches and people, you know, kind of religious people will take this and to kind of almost, uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? To, to uh, kind of almost like fake levels. So you'll find people that'll pray things. You'll be like, I don't think that's even sincere, right? Like, God, I thank you for those bed bugs. You know, I thank you. Like, whatever. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that's what this thing. It's not saying give thanks for everything, but it says give thanks in all circumstances. Give, give thanks because this is God's will for you. Give thanks in all circumstances. For instance, going back to Paul, Paul's in jail when he's penning these words to the Philippian church. He's been whipped. He's been beaten. He's been chained to guards. He's been all this kind of thing. I'm not sure. And, and there may be a time when you, when you can honestly say, you know, I am thankful for this experience. Typically, it's in hindsight that you can do that. But I'm, I'm not sure that, that Paul could have sincerely said, hey, God, I thank you for these beatings that I've received, right? Maybe in hindsight you could, but again, at the time, I'm not sure. But, but there's plenty that Paul could be thankful for. In fact, if you read through the book of Philippians, you can see he expresses all over the place. He's saying, boy, I'm so thankful for the, for the Philippian church, for the, for the uh, gift that they had sent to him. I'm thankful for the way the gospel is advancing all over the world. I'm thankful for transformed lives. I'm thankful that I'm getting a chance to share my faith even with the guards that are around me. I mean, there's all kinds of things Paul could be thankful for, even in the midst of horrific sort of circumstances. And the same is true for us, isn't it? No matter what is happening on the outside, there are things we can be thankful for, aren't there? There's tons we can be thankful for. So let me ask you, how are you doing on this one? Would you say that thankfulness and gratefulness of heart is something that's being cultivated in you? Is that something that, that you regularly see and those around you regularly see coming out of your mouth? Is, man, I'm so thankful for this. I'm so grateful for this. Or instead, would, if you're honest, would you have to say, no, I think the opposite's probably more true. We live in a culture that loves to gripe, <laughs> that loves to be discontent about all different kinds of things. But man, that never leads anywhere good. Instead, God says, man, would you cultivate hearts that are grateful? that are so thankful, that look for that kind of stuff, look for opportunities to express thankfulness 
to see God's faithfulness and goodness and turn back and say, thank you. So quick example, let me kind of put all this stuff together um, for just one second. Let's say that you hear a rumor of another round, uh, that another round of layoffs is coming at work. Now, you might find this hard to believe, but there are, some, uh, there are some places in the world where big companies make announcements like that on a regular basis, right? I know here in Peoria, we have a hard time imagining that such a thing could happen. But, okay, I'm being a little tongue-in-cheek here, right? I mean, like, man, has that consumed the, the media this week? Every time I turn on the local news or anything, or talking about Caterpillar this and Caterpillar that, and Caterpillar, you know, I mean, all, all this, the negative layoff. So let's say, rumor, hypothetically, that we hear another uh, round of layoffs is coming or they're moving the world, world headquarters someplace or whatever, and uh, the news is spinning about it, your own mind, let's say you work a cat, your own mind starts going, and you start thinking about, oh man, all the bills that have, you know, are going to come due. You start thinking about that. You start thinking about, man, if, if I get let go, I'm going to have to go home and tell my wife or tell my husband about this. My kids are going to get stressed out. We might have to move. We might have to foreclose on our house. We might have, you start going down that path in your mind. And according to Philippians, right, we have a choice to make as, we're, as we hear, when we hear those kinds of things and we feel the anxiety levels starting to rise, we have a choice to make. We can continue down that path, right, of stewing, of anxiety, of letting our brain spin, or we can put into practice what we have heard today. We could stop for a second. We could stop in the middle of it and say, man, I'm starting to feel anxiety. My brain is starting to go crazy. So instead, we could take that anxiety, we could drop it before God. And we could hit our knees. We could turn Godward and start saying, God, I need you. Out of the mouths of babes, right? So we could turn towards God and start saying, I need you. God, I can't handle this. I'm feeling anxious. I'm stressed about my job. And yet I know that you are a God that is on the throne. You are in charge. You are powerful. You present. You say that you care about me. In fact, your word tells me that you think I'm worth dying for. And so, God, I come to you, and I want to entrust my future. I want to entrust my job to you. I pray that you would continue to provide, continue to care. God, I entrust this to you. Would you take care of me, God? In Jesus' name, amen. We could cast our anxiety on him, and then we could thank him. What, What kinds of things can we thank him for, even in that kind of circumstance? It's okay to talk in church. What do you think? What could you, if you were afraid you were going to lose your job, what kinds of things could you still thank God for? That you have a job? That you have a job? Yeah, absolutely. Who else? Somebody else? Huh? Family. Family, absolutely. Opportunity for something else. Be part of the adventure where it's God's sake. Somebody else? Health? Health? Yeah. I mean, there's all kinds of things. we Could Could we be thankful that, that God has rescued us, that he's brought us back into his kingdom, that we're assured of heaven with him? Could we, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, he, that he, we can thank him that he works all things for good. He creates amazing things, even in hard times. He's working for the good of those who love him, right? Uh, absolutely. We could, all kinds of things that we could find to be thankful. We could express thanks for God's goodness and his faithfulness to, to us in the past and in the present, and we can trust him with our future. All kinds of opportunities. The passage ends by saying, man, when we... When we do those three things, right? When we are anxious about nothing, but instead we take that anxiety, we drop it, we pray about everything, and we pray with thanksgiving. 
This is what it says. The scripture says that the peace that passes all understanding will stand guard over your hearts. That's what it really means. That the God of peace will stand guard over your heart. God will guard our hearts with a peace that passes all understanding. You think that's a big deal? You know what? I, I have a hard time imagining how I could explain that any differently, right? But it's true. I have experienced this time and time and time again. I've experienced it multiple times this week where I was stressed about the grand opening, about everything getting done, about whatever. And I just at some point just had to hit my knees and just say, God, I need you. Would you, would you come and rescue me? Would you come and refocus my eyes on you? Would, would you help me to drop this stuff at your feet and spend some time thanking God? And I can, I can literally feel the weight being lifted. I can feel God's peace and his presence being poured out. Friends, there's nothing better. It's the way that life was meant to be. That kind of peace that passes all understanding, it's only available through Jesus. It only comes from him. Friends, I don't know where you're at with God this morning. I'm not sure what's happening in your life or how he might be speaking to you, but I'll tell you what. If you or or I are caught in this trap, if we find ourselves worrying, if we find ourselves anxious, if you're like, you know what, I think, I think God's talking to me this morning, then the first step, the first thing that God's going to call you to is he's going to call you to turn home, to open up your heart to him, to Jesus, right? And, and say, God, I need you. It's to cry out in faith, to turn towards him and just say, God, I want to step into the life that you have for me. I've tried it on my own, and I'll tell you what, I, it's been that downward spiral for some time. But God, this morning, I want to come to you and I just want to cry out, I need you. The first step towards that life of joy, the first step towards that path of peace that we've been talking about begins when we turn back home to God, when we open up our hearts and lives to him and we cry out in faith, I need you. If you have never done that before, or if you've done it, but you find yourself plagued by that weight, once again, plagued by that anxiety, I would encourage you this morning as we close in prayer in just a moment to just shut your eyes and in your heart, just quietly just pray, Jesus, I need you. Would you come and lead me? Would you come and guide me? Come and put me on your path. And with your help, I'll follow. Forgive me for the past. Would you cut it off? Would you give me a fresh start because of Jesus? And would you lead me forward? From this point on, I am yours. Some of us might be here and we've done that. We've prayed that kind of thing before. But once again, the, uh, the weight has, has come into our lives. The anxiety is plaguing us. And, and more than anything else today, we just need to take it and drop it before God. And we need to turn our eyes and our hearts, God, and just cry out, Jesus, would you come? <laughs> I can't carry the weight. I want to step into the yoke that is easy and the burden that is light. I want to live life with you again. Forgive me for taking this on myself, for trying to control, for trying to carry everything myself. I I am yours. We just need to drop it before him and trust ourselves and entrust those situations to him through prayer and leave free. Maybe you're here today and... And the truth be told, your heart and your life is a little bit cynical, a little bit embittered. You've just been a little bit, you know, a little bit hardened up, a little bit ungrateful, maybe. And maybe today God's nudging you and just saying, would you, would you start fostering a, a grateful heart, a thankful heart? 
We just start learning and practicing these things, putting it into practice on a regular daily basis and even a moment by moment basis of just being thankful for what God has entrusted to you, friends. Again, the Bible tells us that as we do these things, that the God of peace will stand guard over our hearts, that the peace that passes all understanding will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. When you came in today, you probably saw one of these bracelets, these goofy little uh, bracelets. They got all kinds of emojis on them. Uh, We're giving those out today, and we'll kind of reference them throughout. But I'd encourage you to take one if you're comfortable. I know some will, some won't. That's fine. But take one, put it on, and just let it be a reminder to you this week. As you feel anxiety creeping up, just use it as a reminder to drop it, to be anxious about nothing, but to drop it before God, to pray and to practice thanksgiving so that the peace of God can guard us. Let's close in prayer. God, we thank you so much for your love, for your peace. We thank you for your presence. We thank you that there is hope in life. There is a different way that we don't have to be caught in the anxiety trap but that you lead us out towards freedom. You lead us into joy and into your peace. Lord, I, we just want to start out and just uh, kind of open our hearts, open our hands, open our lives, and we look to you, Jesus, and we say, come, Lord Jesus, come in. Would you come and, and rescue us from our junk? Come and rescue us and forgive us for our sin. Come and lead us forward. Be our God. Be our Savior. We need you. And Lord, we we pray as well, God, there's so much anxiety, so much stress and worry and stuff that we take on ourselves in this morning. God, we just want to drop it before you. Lord, we can't handle it. We We are pretty small. And yet you are so big. You're powerful. You're the, the creator. You're the, the savior. The, you're, the, you're the one that rescues and redeems and restores. You're the one that heals. And so we come and we bring these things to you and we entrust. We cast our cares on you. We drop them at your feet. And we pray, God, that you would do the heavy lifting. That you would lead and direct. That you would bring peace instead of pressure. set us free this morning and God as well we just pray that you would be teaching us this week and throughout the series to be people of gratefulness people with hearts dead set on on giving thanks to you in all things we are so thankful God for for your presence for your goodness for this time we entrust ourselves we entrust uh, our lives our emotions into your care. We pray these things in Jesus' name.